stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's very own David Boren, who is the editor of Zach's Marijuana Investor Portfolio to discuss, obviously, the marijuana industry, cannabis, hemp, all these fun things. What is going on with it now? Has the pandemic hit the industry? Should you be investing in the marijuana stocks? Are those over? Are they good deals here, maybe? Uh, We're going to cover all of this. And so welcome back, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me. I think the last time we talked, it was like maybe, I don't know, January, December, January, February. No, it couldn't have been February. December, January, maybe? It's Um, been a while. um, I don't remember. I think it was in Chicago. I I, used to travel long ago. I I used to actually get on a plane and go somewhere. But (laughs) it's like another world now. It's like, you know, another, a whole other scene of when we used to do these live. But it also seems like it might be a whole nother world with marijuana stocks, too, because I kind of wasn't paying that much attention to most of them, although I do own one of them in my value investor portfolio that I bought in the sell-off, the coronavirus sell-off. But um, And then, oh, I take it back. I own two in there. Um, another one we bought in 2019. Um, but... I wasn't paying attention to the growers or most of the other stuff. And now I see, you know, things are breaking out with the grower side of things. And it doesn't sound that good. Uh, well, uh, it's actually been a, a, a pretty steep recovery. So the marijuana stocks, especially the producers, the growers, are very high beta stocks. So when the markets get nervous and selling gets indiscriminate, the marijuana stocks get sold as hard as anything or, or worse. Uh, and so a lot of them hit really super serious multi-year lows in March, but they've also bounced back really hard because it's turned out to be a very defensive industry. Uh, people yeah. who want to buy marijuana products, uh, both for medicinal purposes and for recreational purposes, are buying just as much as they ever did before or more. Um, so yeah. it's, it's been a, a really significant bounce. Yeah, I'm assuming like during the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the anxiety of all of that. I know here in Illinois, they were considered an essential business. I'm assuming they were in most states that have, uh, you know, legalized it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know people who were going out and, you know, getting their uh, supply just for the anxiety reasons. So that makes sense that, you know, maybe uh, they were actually doing good business during during the shutdowns. Sure. Uh and I think a, a, a really important thing that, that I'm pretty excited about for the industry as a whole is that I think that a lot of people, because of the shutdown, instead of being hurt by the fact that uh, there were restrictions on the kind of businesses you could go to and, and social distancing, the marijuana business is like kind of prospered because of it. Because instead of the people on the black market like calling some guy down the street that you know or whatever, they went to a clean retail store. And they were more likely to go buy a legal product from a licensed place than before the shutdown happened. Wow, that's an interesting change. It really is. It was a a funny silver lining for the whole thing as far as marijuana stocks go. Yeah. 
Now, let's talk about a few of the growers, the Canadian growers, because these are the popular plays that everybody knows. And I know that both of them have been in the news recently. So let's start with Canopy Growth. Ticker is CGC on that one. I think they just had an investor's day of some sort because there's a lot of headlines out about them. Those shares are still down 16% year to date, even though they have bounced off the lows, as you mentioned, and they're down 46% over the last two years. So it hasn't been that great over the last two years, but this is the play that has the big push into beverages and food, right? Uh, yes, but I, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on canopy growth. Uh, I've had it in the portfolio before. I don't have it right now. Uh, and the reason is I think they've been, they're, they're one of the bigger companies and they've been slow to react. They're not very nimble. Okay. Uh, and so the last earnings report made it clear to me that while other producers were, uh, making value brand products, which you can read is just low price stuff, right? Cheap, cheap okay. weed at the store, uh, to compete with black market prices. Canopy was really slow to that game and it's been a big winner for other companies and Canopy is just, it's. It's weird to say that a company that's only a few years old uh, and that, you know, the, the star rose and, and fell in the past year and a half, uh, yeah. that they're they're slow. They're like a lumbering behemoth and, and other companies are much more agile uh, and are can can respond to little changes in consumer demand for different kinds of products much faster. And Canopy to me is moving very slowly. So I'm, okay. I'm not a big fan of Canopy right now. I used to love Bruce Linton. Uh, I it was my favorite pot stock for a long time, and it's an almost totally different company than the, the a, a year and a half ago when I first started buying it. So, does that mean that you are a fan of Aurora Cannabis ticker ACB, as they just announced even today, as we're recording this podcast, that they're laying off even more people than they already previously announced? They're closing operations at five smaller facilities. They're taking a big charge. $140 million on inventory, plus a charge for all these layoffs and the closures. But does that mean this is the kind of company that is reacting? They are riding the ship and, you know, making some tough decisions? Yeah, good point. Uh, that is exactly what I think. I love Aurora. Uh, okay. And I think that this push toward, I'm going to call it austerity, uh, where for a long time, the cannabis companies kind of had unlimited capital flowing in and they could acquire whatever they wanted and hire as many people as they wanted and buy new facilities and, and CapEx was massive uh, and profits were zero or negative. Uh, Aurora is one of the companies that's getting lean at exactly the right time. So they're concentrating on the few things that are really profitable for them and dropping all the stuff that costs money and isn't worth it. So no, I, I like Aurora. I, I was, we talked a little bit before this. When I saw the news this morning, I was a little worried the market wasn't going to see this positively. And I was pleasantly surprised that the market is seeing that Aurora is getting lean at exactly the right time. And they're up today after that news. Okay. The shares are down 45% still year to date. So is this a deal here? Should investors be checking it out? I think so. Now, this is not something that's going to wind up in your value portfolio, right? Uh, this no. is still kind of a long shot bet. But yeah. of, the, of the big companies uh, still producing, I like Aurora much better than I like Canopy. Okay. Are there any other on the producing side that we should know about? 
Uh, yeah. So my favorite one on the producing side, and this is a very, very inexpensive stock. This is not a, uh, this is not a generally like a Zach's special kind of thing. Uh, Hexo Corp. So I think Hexo, it's the, it's trading 81 cents, uh, a share. It's in danger of being delisted from the New York stock exchange. There's a moratorium on delistings for share price, but if it stays below a, a dollar for some rolling period of time, like they're going to have to do a reverse split. Now, it still has pretty decent market cap, right? It's got plenty of market cap to do a reverse split and, and survive. But that's the best play right now, I think, on beverages. Uh, so they've got a, a joint venture with Molson Coors, a very successful brewing company uh, called Trust, to make beverages. And I'm just sort of got my ear to the ground and listening to people who are maybe weren't cannabis consumers at all before. And what they really like is beverages. Uh, a, a precise amount of THC or CBD in a very low doses, and they can decide exactly how much they want to take in, and it tastes good. I, I had been doubtful about beverages before, and now I'm fully bullish on beverages, and Hexo is the low-priced play for the beverage trade. Okay, what's the ticker with that one? It's H-E-X-O, just like it sounds. Okay, that's easy. I know everybody listening to this podcast loves stocks under a dollar. So they're they're typing it in to the Robin Hood right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love those. Okay, well, that's interesting because I know there has been a lot of talk about the beverages over the last couple of years, and then I haven't heard anything new about it. So, but it sounds like these guys are getting at least closer. No, and, and they're they're actually they're producing products that people really like. Uh, okay. that sell well, we still have a, a legality, a political legality issue in the United States. Uh, that's really when the floodgates are going to open, is when these companies can sell not to the 40 million people in Canada, but to the 330 million people in the United States. Um, that That's really going to make a, a massive difference. And unfortunately, because of the recent crises, we've kind of hit a snag on that. We have not made meaningful progress toward legalization in the U.S. for basically this entire year. Yeah, yeah, that was going to be my next question is what is the timeline looking on that? Does it matter about the election, the upcoming election? Uh, I'm glad you asked that because so right now uh, we're pretty certain that the, the two candidates in the presidential election are going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, neither one of them is particularly interested in widespread legalization. And as a matter okay. of fact, Biden, ironically, might be a little bit worse because he favors decriminalization, uh, which is great from a social justice angle. We don't put people in jail for a, a worthless right. crime. But it, for, as far as the industry goes and investability goes, decriminalization is the worst possible scenario because it means that there won't be public companies that you can invest in that are selling cannabis products in the United States. Um, okay. The bigger issue really is, is the Senate. So I firmly believe that either of those men as presidents, uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, if Congress, both houses of Congress, throw a bill on their desk to legalize marijuana, either one of them is going to sign it. Okay. Neither of them have like a, a philosophical problem with it. Uh, yeah. Not going to... They don't support it, but they're also going to sign whatever comes. It's right now the, the Republican-controlled Senate that's delaying the uh, the process of legalization. Okay. Okay, so that's something to watch for all these stacks then. 
For sure. If you see Senate seats start going Democratic uh, in the polls, that would be bullish. If you see the Senate stay Republican, it's probably going to be status quo for at least two more years and maybe four. Okay. So where does that leave us on um, the R&D side, like the drug pharmaceutical side? Because I know that legalization is still huge, at least in the U.S., in terms of the R&D. They have been doing R&D overseas, and um, you know some of those companies have been making some strides using cannabis in uh, medical research, but you know, kind of where does that angle stand? Well, that's actually, uh, it's funny because they all kind of get lumped together because they depend on the compounds from the same plant. But the pharmaceutical companies that are doing research with the cannabis plant and the producers that are making uh, the THC or CBD drink that you can buy at the store couldn't almost be more different. Uh, So I have two of those in my portfolio. I have GW Pharmaceuticals, that's a big one. And I think you have that in value too, right? Yes, that's yeah. the one I own. Uh, yeah. I love GW. This is great. They were the first ones to have an FDA-approved cannabis-based therapeutic. Uh, it's very profitable because there's almost no competition. There's nothing. Uh, yeah. It's it's very, very effective at treating a few small types of uh, very rare types of epilepsy. But because there's nothing else that works the way that their product does, they make a lot of money on it. And they've got a huge pipeline of, of much many more cannabis-based therapeutics uh, ready. So in my last, uh, if you're a regular reader of the Marijuana Innovators, my last column, I kind of called them the Amgen of cannabis, where Uh they have profitable revenue sources that are selling right now, and they've got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. Uh, This is a great pharmaceutical company, whether whether you call it a cannabis company or not, it's just a great company. Uh, And then my other favorite is Zynerba, which is at the very other end of the scale. Uh, Zynerba has a tiny market cap, uh, it, but they have, and, and they're all pipeline. They have, they're not selling anything. Revenues are essentially zero. Earnings are in the future, uh, hopefully. But they have a, a, a cannabis-based or cannabinoid-based therapeutic for autism spectrum disorders. And everyone probably knows that's a, a potentially enormous market. So for me, Zynerba, although like most young biotechs, it, it's it's doubtful that anything will happen. It's a, a big risk, and you're, if you buy those shares, you're risking the entire price of the shares that something will happen. But if it does happen, those shares are going to the moon. Yeah, what's the ticker on that one? At Z-Y-N-E, Zynerba Pharmaceuticals. Okay. What about on the beauty side? There, I keep seeing, even when I'm shopping at like Ulta or Sephora, a lot of like hemp-based products now because of the farm bill in 2018 that allows them to farm hemp in the U.S. I've seen a lot of different cosmetics that now have it and some lotions and things. And then I just saw that Elf Cosmetics has a cannabis skincare line that they're selling now. But where does that angle come in? Is that an area that investors should be looking at? Or is that kind of like a fad and that's done now? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's funny you ask that. I'm going to be as frank as I possibly can be. Most of that is just snake oil. Uh, The the health and and beauty aspect of cannabis and hemp and CBD um, is is just is a joke. (laughs) So compared to 
companies that are producing marijuana for medical or recreational use uh, or pharmaceutical companies that are making actual like FDA approved drugs uh, with in controlled studies that, that people that insurance reimburses you for the CBD shampoo and junk like that. Like it's just that's a fad. Okay. Uh, I think there's some CBD shampoo in my shower right now that my wife got for her birthday or something. It, 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 it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I just saw. I think put on the label, and you can get a little bit of extra premium for a product if you say it has CBD in it. But hemp itself, like just for the the CBD that goes in the shampoo or things like that, lotions. Um, yeah. That's a, a totally commodity crop. It's it's a it's literally a weed. So okay. I don't believe there's any premium. There's going to be no margin at all in, in selling CBD based health and beauty products. Okay, that's good to know, uh, because I am seeing it all over the place. But you know, these things do go tend to go in fads of some sorts, especially in beauty. Um, what about on the real estate side? We've talked in the past about innovative industrial properties, IIPRs, the ticker there. I own that one in the Value Investor. That's the one I bought last year. It really sold off in the coronavirus sell-off, and now it's recovered basically everything. But they are a REIT, and they continue to buy up properties that they then lease out to the cannabis growers in each state where it's been made uh, legal for medical purposes. And they have to pay out 80% of their earnings but I have seen, you know, there was a short seller report attacking the company, saying that it was a fraud, I think, not that long ago. But <laughs> it just uh, raised the dividend. It, you know, changes every quarter, or it can. And uh, they're now paying $1.06 this quarter versus a dollar. Um, so what's going on with this area? Because it seems like Innovative kind of has the space to itself at least as a publicly traded company. That's a great point. And I, so I love IIPR. Uh, it's been one of my holdings since I opened the Marijuana Innovators portfolio and I can't imagine selling it. The only time I'm gonna think about selling that stock is when somebody else gets in the industry because right now they have no competition. It's exactly what you said. Uh, bigger real estate companies, commercial real estate companies won't touch the space and IIPR is slowly and steadily gaining so much expertise in making those deals in and and the, these deals are complicated they involve local zoning things construction zoning licensing all sorts of things that are to scare the hell out of all other commercial REITs and IIPR is becoming the expert at it uh they the average lease term is over 15 years they make about 14 or 15 percent on invested capital every time they raise capital and they buy new properties uh, they're making 14 or 15% on it. And so they have funds from operation, right? Which is important for a, a REIT. Uh, it's, it's how they pay their investors back. Um, yeah. They have funds from operation that are super consistent. They've, they've been raising the dividend consistently. The, the recent one was, I was actually surprised it wasn't higher. It was only about a 6% increase. Um, but IIPR is solid. They still yield over 4%. In an environment when the 10-year treasuries are trading like 70 basis points, 4% is an excellent yield on a REIT, just incredible. Uh, so I think they took a hit. Uh, they've taken a hit because they're a pot stock, uh, even though they're not really a pot stock because their clients are producers of marijuana products. 
yeah. they took a hit because REITs took a hit when people thought there were going to be widespread corporate vacancies uh, yeah. and real estate investment trusts wouldn't be able to collect the rents they were. But they're not they're not anything like any of those other businesses. IIPR is a juggernaut in, in this business and has right now virtually no competition. Okay. And I did see um they did say during the pandemic, the height of it, that they did have a few uh renters who were not paying, I think, could not pay the rent, but it sure. wasn't it wasn't huge. And then I was surprised and they were coming to terms with them. Basically, they were giving them more time to pay or something. And then I was surprised. Oh, OK, then they're paying like the dollar six instead of the dollar. So it seemed like things must have worked them themselves out in, in that regard. It did. So this is a uh, the, one of the other strengths of it is that they have basically no debt. So picture that a lot of REITs are very debt heavy. Uh, everything they buy is leveraged and they're just kind of playing the spread between the, what they can yield on, on in rents on what they bought and how much they have to pay to service the debt. IIPR has almost no debt. They, they raise all their capital through equity offerings. And yeah. so they're in a position, they have a strong enough balance sheet that if a tenant's in trouble and says, hey, I need three months, six months, whatever, IIPR can deal with them in a rational way uh, and work out a win-win in a way that a, a highly leveraged REIT probably can't because they just don't have the breathing room. Uh, they have to service their own debt and so they, they can't make a deal. Whereas IIPR can take a strong client and say, yeah, it's fine, you, you can make it up later and it, it works out for everybody. Okay, I'm feeling better talking to you today, Dave, because I went into this kind of depressed that you know marijuana stocks weren't going anywhere and that like the whole thing was kind of over and all that. but now I'm feeling that they're just kind of being ignored by the stock market in many ways. I, I certainly believe that. I, I'm, I also find myself a little bit depressed sometimes about the fact that people don't see the potential that I see in a lot of these companies. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of waiting for the market to catch up to my way of thinking. Uh, but no, I think there, there's, there's definitely demand for these products, both in the in medicinal, like in the recreational medicinal, the recreational, and then also in legitimate pharmaceuticals. And this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a huge business. And yeah. I'm going to make you a little more happy, hopefully. Okay. I think that what's happening is that the black market uh, is dying. And wow. legitimate companies are taking over the space that the black market used to occupy. Uh, and that's, I, I try to avoid alcohol analogies because they're not exactly the same thing, but in, in this case, it's, a, a I think, a particularly apt analogy. Um, nobody buys bootleg liquor from their neighbor that they made in the bathtub because it's a little cheaper than at the store, right? right. You go to the grocery store, you buy a bottle of wine, a case of beer, whatever you want, and you know exactly what you're getting, the quality, the safety is, is uh, not even a question. Marijuana is going to become like that. Cannabis products are going to become like that. It's just taken a little longer than I thought. Yeah, I've noticed here in Chicago, because um, they were, when we initially opened the dispensaries here, people were thinking, no, everybody's going to keep getting it from their local guy because of the cost difference, because the taxes are so huge that the city and the state put on it. But from just my discussions with friends and family and whatnot, um, they're they're totally going to the dispensaries 
because for the reasons you just said, they know what they're getting there and the product is so much better that they're willing to pay the premium. Absolutely. Uh, and it's not a huge premium. The companies have been, uh, the, the producers, Aurora is one of them, uh, have been quick to adapt to people wanting just lower priced products. Um, yeah. And now it's it's so much easier and barely more expensive to go to a licensed dispensary uh, that in the places where it's legal, I can't imagine who's still calling their dealer around the corner when you can go to a, a nice, clean, well-lit store with consistent quality of, of product and safety and because uh, to save a few bucks in tax. Yeah. Where, where does uh, the industry go in the second half of this year then? What, what are you looking at? Like what kind of trends do you think might be happening or will there be some, you know, more companies entering the space? What, what do we have to look forward to? Really what I'm waiting for and what I've been waiting for, for a year and a half is wide scale legalization in the United States. That is gonna bring us, uh, that's gonna make the companies that we already have much more successful because they're all, most of them, not all of them, most of them have uh, made some strategic acquisitions and deals that will allow them to enter the US market in a big way as soon as they can. Uh, and we're gonna see new companies, uh, OTC stocks and companies that aren't even publicly listed at all right now blow up as soon as it's legal in the United States. It's a massive market. Uh, and so that's, it, it's really, it, it's almost a binary event for us. If Whenever that happens, that's our, that's Christmas for marijuana investors. Uh, until okay. that happens, we just kind of have to keep reading the tea leaves and hope, hope it's coming soon. So it would behoove investors to be in before that actually happens. <laughs> Absolutely, especially some of the lower price stocks. Uh, and I know, again, that these are not like, these are not bread and butter Zach's kind of stocks. We, we tend to be a, more on the uh, conservative side, but for that little portion of your portfolio where you wanna roll the dice uh, and you can afford to lose the money just in case things don't go our way, some of these lower priced marijuana stocks are looking very attractive to me right now. Okay. Well, this is interesting. Um, like I said, I feel a lot better about the marijuana industry after talking with you. So. I hope other people out there who are listening feel the same way and are going to go check out some of these stocks. So let me recap some of the tickers here about what we talked about. Canopy Growth is CGC. Aurora Cannabis is ACB. Then we had Hexo, which is H-E-X-O. That's the one under a dollar, just to remind everyone. We had GW Pharmaceuticals, which is GWPH. Innovative Industrial Properties is IIPR, which I also actually own in my own personal portfolio now. And uh, Zynerva, is that how you pronounce it? Zynerva? Zynerva, sure, yep. Yeah, Z-Y-N-E is the ticker there. And in case you want to play the beauty side, Elf Cosmetics does have a cannabis skincare line. I don't think it's you know <laughs> going to dominate their business over there, but the ticker is Elf, E-L-F, over there if you are interested. Um, but, yeah, this is a good discussion, Dave. So thanks for coming back on, and I'm looking forward to having you on, you know, maybe towards the end of the year again or, or whenever the big event happens, for sure, we'll be on here discussing what is going to happen if marijuana is legalized federally in the United States. But until then, you want to be sure to subscribe 
you can get us on various platforms now. We are on Spotify and the Apple Podcast, of course. And I know a lot of you are listening over there. And we're on SoundCloud. And as I said, a bunch of other platforms. So be sure to subscribe to get the Market Edge every week. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.